Let me welcome you. Isn't it an awesome thing that we've gathered here this morning? Not for a concert, not for a particular drama expression, but we have gathered here this morning to celebrate the good news that yes, Jesus died on a cross more than 2,000 years ago, but death couldn't hold him. He is alive. Come on, shout, he's alive. He's alive. Let's read our passage today, and if you'd be kind enough, if you're able, we invite you to stand. And it is written by Luke, who shapes this narrative from eyewitnesses who knew Jesus, both before his death and crucifixion and who encountered him after his resurrection. Here is the story that Luke shares with the world, beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Shout while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve, shout we deserve, to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you, today, shout today, you will be with me in paradise. Come on, let's give God a hand praise. Lord, take broken flesh with all my flaws and work a miracle and speak to all of us in this place and watching my video. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Luke would remind us that while it is true that there was a glorious resurrection, it is also true that before the glorious resurrection, there was a torturous crucifixion. Luke would have us to consider that as Jesus died on the cross, he was in fact the ultimate display of God's love on the cross. And at the heart of God's love, working itself out on the cross is the work of forgiveness. Everybody shout forgiveness. Forgiveness. As a matter of fact, the criminals who are hanging on both sides of Jesus, they are shocked when they heard earlier in verse 34 of this same chapter, Jesus muster up what strength he had left and he cried out in a loud voice, Father, 
Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. While they were making fun of him and gambling over his clothes. Shout forgiveness. And so it is true that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, love on the cross, it, it is true that you and I who put our trust in him are assured in fact that forgiveness flows from God to us no matter what. Say no matter what. No matter what we've done. And it is also true that that same love challenges us to allow forgiveness to flow from us to others no matter what they've done to us. That's God's plan for repairing a broken world. And it is also true that that same love on the cross makes it possible for you to forgive yourself. And the same love makes it possible for me to forgive myself. Tell the person next to you, I didn't see that coming. I just didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I'm shocked. I was 18 years old. I was about to graduate from high school and had just won first place in a national essay writing competition where the first prize was to receive an all-expense-paid trip to the Republic of China of Taiwan for two weeks and three days. Say two weeks and three days. This was a huge miracle for me because I had started off as a special needs kid and growing up scarred. I acted out and I got in all kinds of trouble, but thanks be to God. And my granduncle and auntie who gave the best years of the second half of their lives, there was a miracle that happened in my life and here I was on my way to Taiwan. I got to Taiwan and they wined and dined me the first day. When I got back to my room that night, I was so exhausted. I knew I was supposed to call home, but I put it off to the next day. And the next morning, my cousin who had traveled with me, Edna, said, did you call home, speak to your grand aunt and uncle? I said, no, I didn't, I, I didn't get a chance. I was just so tired. I'll do it. I'll do it tonight. She said, well, don't worry. I talked to him last night. It's all good. And, and they wined and dined me the next day. And when I got home, I was exhausted. And so I said, oh, I'll call him the next day. I woke up the next morning and Edna said, hey, did you call your grand aunt and uncle? I said, no. I, and I gave the same explanation. She said, well, you don't, don't worry about it. She says, I'm talking to them every day, giving them a report. I said, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and so I went the entire trip, two weeks and how many days? Yeah. Without calling my grand aunt or uncle, not one time. That's right, everybody go, ooh. <laughs> Can somebody say, dummy? <laughs> I got home, my granduncle was sitting on the porch and I was full of joy and excitement like here on Easter. And I said, hey, Dad, and, and all I got back was, hello. 
And then when I entered the house, it was about 75, 80 degrees outside in Cachada, Louisiana, a little small town. And when I entered the house, I felt this cold breeze. <laughs> and we didn't even have an air conditioner, y'all. And, and as, I, as, I, as I followed the trail of the cold breeze, I, and I opened the door and it was all around my grand aunt. I could almost see icicles. I said, hi, mom. She said, don't hi me. She said, after all we've done for you, adopted you, when you were scarred, we poured our money and ourselves into you. All the times we went back and forth to the teacher trying to get you out of trouble. All the knee praying that I've done, all the work to take you to church, all of that stuff. And here you are, you go away for two weeks and three days at the pinnacle moment of your life and you don't care enough for us. You don't respect us enough. You don't appreciate us enough to call home one time. I can't tell you how bad I felt. But what I can tell you is that from that moment till I was about 50 years old, whenever I thought of that incredible regret, all I felt was pain and shame and guilt. Can you say 50 years old? By then I had I had been following Jesus a long time. I had attended a lot of Easter gatherings like this. My goodness, I had pastored for years. I had preached a lot of Easter gatherings like this. I talked about how the love of God flows into our lives no matter what. But I realized at about the age 50 that whenever I thought of that great regret, the pain that I felt, the shame that I felt, the guilt that I felt was the sign that I had not forgiven myself. My grand-uncle had been dead 20 plus years. You know, I share this story because I'm not the only one like that, am I? I bet you there are hundreds of you who are here today as good as you look and as sophisticated as you are and educated and all the things that's going right on the outside. I bet you there's hundreds of you watching by video who in fact, when you look into your life, there's at least one major regret, maybe several regrets that are so painful, so shame-filled, so guilt-ridden that you don't even want to think about it. You know what that's the sign of? You have yet to forgive yourselves. And if the love of God that flows through Jesus on the cross is about anything, it is certainly about helping us to forgive ourselves. Say this with me. You have to forgive to heal. Say it. Come on, tell the person next to you, did you hear that? You got to forgive the healed. Say it. 
Here's what I'm convinced of. Unforgiveness about me in my life, unforgiveness that you're carrying in your life can be absolutely lethal. Some of you are trapped in addictions and you want to know why. Well, the reason is there's some unforgiveness that you haven't done the work for in your life. Some of you are tearing up one relationship after the next relationship and you're wondering why. And if you track it out, you'll find the source of it is this unforgiveness that you're carrying in your life, feeling like you really don't deserve to be loved. And some of you put a lid on your, on your leadership and your career growth because you can't really trust yourself at the end of the day. Why? Because there's some unforgiveness that you have not worked out in your life. There are some of you, when you look in the mirror and when you talk about yourself, you just see a bad person and you are always saying things to yourself like, you dummy, you're stupid, how horrible are you? And that's how you see yourself. Why? Because there is some unforgiveness. There's a grand regret in your soul that is full of shame and guilt and pain and you have not found a way to work it. Tell the person next to you, I'm so glad you came today. (laughs) Tell the other person, I think there might be some good news in this place. (laughs) So, forgive the heal. I want to argue that in this text that we are reflecting on today that Luke is calling our attention to is really a solution to how to work this thing through. The fact of the matter is that for years I felt like I had within me a hidden criminal. Whenever you have unforgiveness, the unforgivable in your life, you feel like a hidden criminal. And as we think about Luke's Uh, depiction of Jesus and a criminal on this side and a criminal on that side, the fact of the matter is when we're really, really honest, nobody has to tell us, you know what? You are a criminal. The big question today is really, which criminal am I? As a matter of fact, ask the person next to you, which criminal do you think I am today? (laughs) 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 Woo! The text gives us two choices, right? In, in, uh, in verse 39, the first criminal. Oh my goodness, he's heard Jesus along with the other one as Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And this expression of love and forgiveness makes him even more cynical. It's out of that cynicism that he says, Oh, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the deliverer, are you? Prove it! Save yourself, and while you're at it, save us too. What we'll learn by the end of this message is that indeed Jesus is the deliverer, and he proves it not by coming down, but by staying up. So if you've gathered in this place and you have cynicism, you're listening with cynicism and you're saying Jesus just prove you are who you say you are I want you to know that Jesus welcomes your cynicism and he says to you lean in everybody shout lean in in. but many of us at least this is where I was I was really in the place of the second criminal and many of us at the end of the day 
uh, 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 we believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, uh, uh, but, but, but how do we appropriate the love and the forgiveness that we've heard about? How do we appropriate it? Well, I want to suggest the answers in the word heal. Everybody say heal. Let me give you an acronym. We'll work through this acronym and work through this text at the same time. And you'll, you'll find an answer here. Everybody shout H. The first thing we have to do is to be honest about what it is that we actually did that was wrong. We see this in verse 41 when the criminal ultimately after he, he straightens out the guy and says, man, aren't you afraid of, 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 of God, you know, you know, even when you're dying? And then he says about, he says, we deserve to die for our crime. The first thing that this guy is doing is he is... He, he, he's making an honest assessment of what he's done that is wrong. And he's looking at his action. They probably was insurrectionists and they probably uh, 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 were responsible for the killing a whole lot of people, some of them in, in, in cold blood. And so I'm, I'm sure he's looking at the action that he's in and he said, you know, my action was a crime. He's thinking about his feelings and he's, and he's being honest. You know, I, I feel real guilty and I feel shame about it. Uh, uh, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, I deserve to die. He is appropriately assuming responsibility. That's where you and I have to start. We have to appropriately assume responsibility. Well, that was easy for me, listen. By the time I finished talking to my grandaunt, and for years later, I didn't have a problem appropriately assuming responsibility. I, whenever this thought came to my mind, basically I just said, you dummy. How could you have done now, some of us have a problem, right? We, we, can, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can rehearse what went down, but when it comes to really assuming responsibility, some of us will say, no, 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 you know, it's my origins, my family of origins. No, no, no. You know, it's somebody else's circumstances. No, no, no. No, no, no. And you, you just haven't assumed responsibility. I want to say to you, you want to break free? Assume the responsibility. Come on, let's practice this. It's my fault. Come on, practice it. Oh, I didn't hear you say it real loud because all the wives want to hear this. Come on, say, it's my fault. Shout it. <laughs> Let me give you an exception to the rule. Notice I said assume appropriate responsibility. Because some of us in here have been sexually abused and raped. And you came in here thinking for years that it really it was your fault. You say, you know, I should have dressed differently. I shouldn't have gone in that room. I shouldn't have done that. I, I just want to let you know here today that if you've been abused or raped or something like that, it is not your fault. Everybody shout E. E is for let me equip my heart so I can actually receive forgiveness, give forgiveness to myself, equip my heart for forgiveness. Well, how do you equip your heart? Well, the part of the answer is in Psalms 103, one of my favorite Psalms. And when you go home, I encourage you to read it. And I especially want you to read verses 8 through 14. Because in verses 8 through 14, the psalmist describes how God's love looked. And it's surprising, it'll be surprising for some of us because the psalmist says, yeah, here's how God loves us. He's full of grace and compassion. He, 
he, he, he, he's, he takes a long time to get angry and he doesn't hold grudges against us and he never pays us based on what our sins really deserves. And, and, and here's how God's love looks, that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his compassion is for us. And here's how God's love looks. It's full of forgiveness as far as the east is from the west that's how far he's removed our sins from us love on the cross but then the psalmist lets us slip into what i call a unique insight if you ask yourself the question and the psalmist is answering the question well how is it possible for god to love us this way and he gives us an insight in verse 14 it's pretty amazing here's what he says he says god is essentially i'm paraphrasing essentially god is able to love us and to forgive us this way because watch this he remembers shout he remembers come on come on shout he remembers he remembers how we are formed. He did not say he remember how we were formed, past tense. He says he remembers how we are formed and we are but dust. And the image is of God creating humanity out of the dirt. But the profound theological truth is that God still uses your ups and your downs, your good decisions and your bad decisions, and he's still shaping you. Come on now. You are a work in process. That's the insight. He's saying that God remembers that you are a work in process. That's the insight. He says that God remembers that you are work in process. I mean, isn't this what Jesus is saying? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Dr. King used to interpret that text and he would say what Jesus was saying is that these are not bad people, they are blind people. And what I say is that Jesus was articulating, these people are work in process. Thief on the cross, he looked at Jesus he heard that expression of love and he saw something about life and love that he did not know any time before that. And perhaps had he known it before then, he wouldn't have been on the cross. The fact of the matter is, guys, I was 18 years old. I was wet behind the ears. I barely had ever been out of Cushada, less known out of the country. I was a scarred kid. Come on now. Used to people making fun of me and suddenly I'm in Taiwan and they treat me like an honored guest. I, 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 I just, I knew I should have called home, but I didn't understand what a big deal it was. I, I, I didn't have the maturity that I actually have now. But if I knew then what I know now, I would have called home. But that's all right. I'm a work in process. Come on, tell the person next to you, I'm a work in process. I'm a work in process. When you can, when you can, when you can, when you can accept the fact that you're a work in process, you can cut yourself some slack. It positions your heart 
to, to, to forgive yourself. But there's another insight. Notice the thief on the cross, he says, we deserve to die for our crimes. Watch this. But he also says, verse 41, but this man, shout this man. Come on, he's looking at Jesus now. He, he's, he's looking at Jesus. There's a subtle thing that happens in this text. You know, he's first looking at the other guy, but then he shifts his eye on Jesus. If you really want to work on forgiveness, stop looking at the other person. Look at Jesus. Come on now. See how Jesus is treating you. He's going to help you now. So he shifts his eye on Jesus and, 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 and he says, this man, shout this man, hasn't done anything wrong. Well, let me ask you a question. If Jesus is so powerful that he's going to break death and rise again, and if it's true that he's innocent, he's done nothing wrong, why is he dying on the cross? I love how you ask your questions. <laughs> the fact of the matter is the scripture says that the reason Jesus is dying on the cross, come on now, it's not because he's done something wrong, but he's dying in the place of everybody else who's done something wrong. Oh, let me tell you why this is important. Yeah, because there's a, there's a psychological barrier we have to get past if we're going to forgive ourselves. And the psychological barrier is that whenever we do something horrible, uh, uh, there's something within us that cries for justice even against ourselves. Whenever we do something horrendously wrong, there's something in us that cries out, there needs to be a punishment uh, even if it's against ourselves. And that's why a lot of us have been punishing ourselves for years. But... Isaiah, the Jewish prophet, a thousand years before Jesus shows up on the cross, he prophesies that one day, come on now, the deliverer will show up on the cross and he says, let me help you to understand why he was there. And Isaiah writes in 53, 5, he says, for he was wounded, he was pierced for our transgressions, the laws that you broke. Come on now. He was, he was, he was wounded, he was crushed for our iniquity, the sins that we have done. Uh, he was, he was, he was, he was punished so that you and I might have peace. And by his wounds, we are what? Oh, come on now. Here's what Jesus is saying. This makes me excited. Here's what Jesus is saying. I know you feel like you need to be punished. I know you feel, Herman, like you ought to be crucified for what you did to your grand aunt and uncle. But Herman, you can't handle crucifixion. If you're crucified, you're going to die. Your dreams will die. Your hopes will die. Your potential will die. It'll become a part of the ass heap of history. So what I'm going to do, Herman, push you out of the way. And I'm going to say, bring it on. And I'll absorb the punishment. Because when I die, come on now, I'll break forth into new life and set you free to forgive yourself. The insight is simple. Tell the next person, stop crucifying yourself because Jesus has already been crucified for you. Come on, turn to the other person. Say, you know what? I can stop crucifying myself because Jesus has been crucified for me. 
So H, you've got to be honest. An honest assessment. Assume appropriate responsibility. E, you got to equip your heart so you can actually receive forgiveness. You got to understand you are a work in process. God understands it. Why can't you understand it? And you've got, to, you've got to know that he's been crucified for you. So stop crucifying yourself. Get ready to live. And then thirdly, insights captured in the word A. Ask for what you don't deserve. Accept the lavish gift that you can't understand. You know, the guy on the cross, he has just said, we deserve to die for our crimes. And then in the next verse, 42, he then says, but Jesus when you go through the portal hole of death, because I know you're, you're more than humanity. You are God in, 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 in the human experience. So when you go through death, because you're going to go through it, but you're going to go through it, shout through it, and come out on the other side. You're the king not of some earthly kingdom. You're the king of creation. And when you assume the full authority that is due you, come on now, the one that spoke and creation came into existence, when you assume your full authority, I'm going to be dead, but I want you to remember me. Would you, in fact, just call my name? And if you call my name, I'll break forth from death into life. I know I deserve death, but I'm asking for life. Jesus says, it's okay to ask. See, see, there's some power in your getting the courage to ask for what you think you don't deserve. Now, the moment I say deserve, here's what some of you, here's where some of you go. You go to value, shout value. You go to self-worth, shout self-worth. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says grace. When Jesus is talking about what you don't deserve, he means you haven't earned it. But it has nothing to do with your value. There's a woman by the name of Susan, uh, who is a uh, Susan Russell. She's a major corporate figure in Silicon Valley, and now she's got a great ministry called Love Never Fails, where she's changing the lives of hundreds and thousands of people. But she told her story a few years ago, and she said that when she was a kid, she spent most of her life trying to prove that she was lovable. And so she got straight A's through school trying to prove she was lovable. She went to college and she got straight A's through college trying to prove that she was lovable, that she had inestimable value. And then she went into corporate America and she rose to the top of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the heap, if you will, at Cisco, became an incredible African-American woman who was at the top of Cisco's executive bracket. And, 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 and she was still trying to prove that she was worth it. And at some point she said yes to Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And she said she got busy in the church like some of us. And she was doing a lot of different things. But one day she realized that what she was really trying to do was prove that she was worth it. The forgiveness, the love that Jesus would share. It was about value. And then she says she had her first child. 
And she was holding that baby in her arms. And she looked at that baby. And suddenly she realized what value looks like from God's perspective. She said to the baby, I love you so much, I would die for you. The baby hasn't done anything. He hasn't earned anything. He's just a baby, y'all. And in a little bit, he's going to poop and cry. Come on now. But I love you so much, I'll die for you. In a few years, he's going to be a toddler, tearing up stuff all over the place. But I love you so much, I'll die for you. And when he becomes a teenager, he's going to break her heart like most teenagers do. But she said, that's all right. I love you so much, I'll die for you. Why? Because your value to your mama is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. And there's nothing you can do to lose your value. And that's what God says in Jesus. I love you so much. I'll die for you. It's not that you are not worth anything. No, Jesus says you are worth everything. All I have. You are worth it. Shout, I'm worth it. Jesus says, you're worth my dying. You're worth my going into the grave. You're worth my breaking through death and coming out on the other side. You are worth it. Now, I take that moment to share that because Another barrier in most of our, many of our minds is that we are so undervalued, we are so unworth it that we won't even ask God for forgiveness and to heal us. And then lastly, shout accept. Accept a grace, a gift that you can't understand. Here it is. Listen, Here, Jesus responds to him. He says, this day, shout today. Come on, come on, come on. You didn't say, come on, shout today. April 1st, April Fool's Day. Come on now. Uh, Today, shout today. The devil thought he had you, but shout today. Your history thought it had undercut you, but shout today. April Fool's Day, God says, come on now. I'm going to override all of that. This day, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to give you what I know you're worth, life eternal. This can be the day your life changes. Well, somebody said, well, I don't understand. Listen, the guy says, Jesus is about to wipe out all my sins, and I'm about to die. How do I understand that kind of love? I have a dear friend of mine, this Pastor Tony Williams. About four months ago, he had a big mortgage on the church. Pastor's an African-American church in a tough neighborhood in San Jose. It's over a million dollars. One day he was opening the mail, and there was a check in there from a, a white couple who's never been to the church and who really doesn't know him that well. The check was for a million and $30,000. And Tony called me and he said, I don't understand this. I don't know them. We, ain't, we haven't been to dinner. I, I, I don't know them like that. We haven't exchanged stories about our kids. I don't know them like that. Come on. I, I can't understand how they would give me a million 
dollars. Come on now. But, but when he talked to them, they said, we've been watching you. Y'all ain't listening. From a distance. And, and we just felt like God spoke to us and said to give you a million dollars. And so that's what we've done. Now, some of y'all who are coming in here said, this grace, this forgiveness that the pastor always talking about, said, I can't really comprehend it. Well, Tony had a choice. He could say, I don't understand it. Tear up the check or leave it on the table. Or he could say, I don't understand it, but God knows I'm going to accept it. <laughs> Let me tell you what Tony did. Come on now. He said, I don't understand it, but I'm going to the bank, y'all. I'm going to pay off my debt. Come on now. So I'm just here to tell you, you don't understand the lavish gift. I don't understand the lavish gift that God gives, but I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to let him pay off my debt. And then L, C-H-E-A, what? What does that spell? L, when I've been honest and accepted my responsibility. When I realize I'm a work in process and stop crucifying me because he's already done it for me. And when I... Ask for what I don't think I deserve, but realize that my value is fixed and inestimable and accept what I can't explain. Then I'm ready to let it go. Now, here's how you know you let it go. I shared this story here, 2,000 of y'all in here. God knows how many is listening by video and podcasts. Do I still regret what I did? Yes. But it's no longer regret with pain and guilt and shame. It's now regret with peace. Oh, Jesus says this day, you'll be with me in paradise, shout paradise. You know what that is? That's the place where everything is all right. And here's what I declare. Come on now. Let it, the wrong go. But hold on to the lesson. Oh, my God. You know, in reflection, I learned that what was really going on is that I just hadn't learned how to say thank you. I, I hadn't realized the importance of being grateful. But, 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 but now at 53, y'all, come on now. Uh, my, grand, my mother-in-law teases me because when she comes over to help us at the house, I'm always saying thank you, Ma. Thank you. And so she makes a joke out of, oh, he's going to tell us thank you. But, but, but my grandma, but my mother-in-law, she doesn't understand. It's really, it's, 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 it's my holding on to the lesson that I learned and applying it forward. Come on now. I'm making that phone call I didn't make before. When I talk to my staff and volunteers, I say, thank you. Thank you. They say, you don't have to. I said, no, I've got to thank you. I've learned the lesson to say thank you. And every time I say thank you, I'm making that call back home. Y'all ain't listening to me. I've learned the lesson of gratitude. And I know that my grand aunt and uncle said, I'm so proud of you. And God is saying, that's what I want. Yes, you might fall. Boy, get back up. Let the brokenness go and hold on to the lesson. When you do that again and again, then you will have 
And then after Jesus finished all that, you know what the best news is? He died and he got up with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. Who wouldn't trust a God like that? Give God a hand first.